Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, NFC Preview Edition. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. Happy weekend, everybody. As always, on this lovely Wednesday afternoon, I am here at PFF's finest, Kevin Cole. Kevin, we just spent a good hour plus talking about the AFC. Now we're on the NFC. Great day to be great, my friend. Yes, uh, on to the the loser conference. I don't know what to call it. Like it's like the it's like the the second tier conference, basically, in terms of football. Now we got some fantasy football goodness in here too. There, don't don't shut off your podcast apps right now. I'm not doing a good job selling this. I just realized about four seconds into this, but still, it is kind of crazy how bad the NFC is relative to the AFC this year. That's what always kills me with some of these broadcasts where like they when they try to, you know, get edgy, get hip and they bring up their gambling or fantasy. It's always like cutting to someone else that's not even in the booth for like this awkward 30 second segment about it. When all it is, man, all we're trying to say in the fantasy community, when it's a close game, who gives a shit about fantasy? I understand that. You understand that when a team's up by 30 in the fourth quarter. All those fans aren't watching. The only people watching your games are people with fantasy players playing. Wouldn't be a bad idea to maybe lean a little bit more into them. But, you know, we can go on about the intricacies or things that piss us off about broadcasting all day. Let's start things off with the first place undefeated 6-0 Philadelphia Eagles coming off their bye home against the Steelers this week, sitting as seven-point favorites, 43-and-a-half point game total. The top three teams in the NFL, Kevin, only three teams have a, a point differential of 50 points or higher. First place, easily the Bills at plus 95. Then we have the Eagles at plus 56 and the Chiefs at plus 51. In the AFC version of our podcast, you know, you said, and I agree, it's the Bills and then everyone else. Do you think the Eagles are everyone else or, well, okay, you are, you obviously already said that. Do you think it's Bills and then Chiefs, Eagles, or is it Bills, then Chiefs, and then the Eagles are even down a tier? Basically, do you think the undefeated Eagles can compete with pretty clearly the two best teams in the league and the Bills and Chiefs? No, I, I mean, I think the Eagles are probably still down a tier. But again, like I am still building in a lot of preseason expectations for the Eagles. And I think even what we've seen in the recent weeks before the bye they weren't dominating necessarily the same way, especially offensively as they had been before. One of it was weather related against the Jaguars. So maybe you can wipe some of that off um, against the Cowboys. They won the game, but I wouldn't say it was outstanding. It was more like getting turnovers defensively and moving forward. So they're, they're above other teams, but I would say that the Buffalo is kind of like better relative to its competition in the AFC than even Philly is there in the NFC. And what's really shocking though I would probably, with Dak Prescott, put the Cowboys as being the second best team in the NFC. And who would have thought the NFC East, the mocked <laughs> NFC East for many, many, many years here, is now housing not only the best team in the conference, probably the second best team in the conference, and also your 6-1 and one New York Giants. It's, it is wild, man. It's NFC East is honestly like you look at the Giants and only losses to the Cowboys. One of the Cowboys losses to the Eagles. I mean, the only teams to beat anyone from the NFC East this year, uh, we got the Lions who knocked. I mean, you know, we can talk about basically the Washington's losses, but more or less, yeah, top three teams in the NFC East. The Buccaneers are the only team with a win against any of them. So wild times to be alive. Obviously, Jalen Hurts doing his thing. Just the guy was born in like a fantasy football factory just to give us a bunch of freaking points out there. And this hasn't been the most pass happy offense in the league. In fact, I believe last time I checked non garbage time situations, they're like 28th in overall pass play rate. So I do kind of agree, uh, Kevin, where they haven't been the same sort of unstoppable force here in past weeks. 
look, Jalen Hurts, he's on pace for 218 rush attempts. They get inside the five-yard line, and it just becomes, you know, one QB sneak after another. It works. We love Jalen Hurts, but with A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, and Dallas Goddard, we've seen it already. There's always kind of one guy being left out on a weekly basis. Could you see this becoming even more frustrating and seeing this passing game really leaving a lot to be desired for guys like A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, who were basically A.J.B. You know, is a weekly top 10, if not top 5 receiver, and Devontae's in more people's uh, top 24s than that as well. I don't think it'll get more frustrating only because they've been winning all these games. So you just assume that the relationship between game script, passing attempts, expected passing rate, like holds for the Eagles, like it would hold for most teams. It may not be as strong because they can be so efficient running the ball, but you're going to assume that that's the case, right? And they've just been winning and winning and winning and winning. So coming up here, the Steelers, uh, the Texans, uh, <laughs> the Commanders, uh, the Colts, uh, Jesus, Lord, what is this schedule that they have <laughs> going on here? So, yeah, I mean, I guess it could get worse. And you're, you're exactly right. It's just going to be you can't count on a floor from any of these guys. But you're probably still starting them, hoping that you're going to, on average, get enough goodness to help you win more fantasy matchups than you lose. It's just the schedules is like from heaven, basically. <laughs> Not only have they had one of the easiest schedules in the league so far, they have by far the easiest schedule going forward the rest of the season. Great day to be an Eagles fan and maybe just a Miles Sanders fantasy football manager. He's done a lot of good things earlier this year, and I think that it really could keep on keeping on, man. This year, the only running backs with at least 15-plus touches in six or more games, Saquon Barkley, Austin Eckler, Nick Chubb, Joe Mixon, and Miles Sanders. I fully understand. Eckler, Saquon, you know, their catches are a lot more valuable than Sanders carries, but we do see because of this Eagles offense being as run-heavy as they are and as good as they are, the usual issues I think that impact Miles Sanders, receptions aside, I know he's not ever going to be that high-octane reception guy, but Jalen Hurts leads the NFL and carries inside the five-yard line. With that said, like if you look at just the running backs involved, the Eagles are actually still um, – well, they're tied for fifth in terms of total running back carries inside the 10-yard line. They dropped to 16th inside the five-yard line. But that's still like a lot better than I would have expected given that Jalen Hurts is, again, the league leader and carries inside the five-yard line. So I'm more confident, I think, than I would have been in week one, Kevin, that Miles Sanders can keep up as a pretty much weekly upside RB2. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, we'll see as far as the – like touchdown dependency issues, not really there, but this is again a team where we're talking about through um, six games, had six passing touchdowns so far and 13 rushing touchdowns. So that's going to flip a little bit more. It's going to help those receivers a little bit more. It's going to leave a little bit less margin for error for Miles Sanders if Jalen Hurts continues to run the ball near the end zone. That would be my only concern there is that there's probably going to be at least proportionally fewer rushing touchdowns to go around after this bye than it has been before that. You're six and one New York Giants in second place. What a time to be alive. It seems like every single one of these games, you know, first three quarters or so, it looks like they're going to be losing, but they're hanging around just enough to not dismiss them. And just one, one score went after another, man. If you, just, if you just look at their individual games this year, one point went over the Titans. They beat the Panthers by three, Bears by eight, just knocking out some true juggernauts here, man. Packers by five points, Ravens by four. Most recently, that Jaguars game won by one yard and six points. So on the one hand, we see this a lot of times, one score games, not, not fluky necessarily, but we do expect that to kind of come back, you know, on a year over year basis. That said, man, 
do you think that this Giants team is just, again, kind of getting some luck here in one-score situations and they are kind of more of the middling team that we've thought of them as? Or is this legitimately a 6-1 and one team doing a lot of good things thanks to Brian Dable really emerging as a front-runner of uh, Coach of the Year? I mean, they're not legitimately a six and one team. I mean, sorry, Giants fans. I know you you hate hearing this over and over again. The overrated. Kevin, the power rankings. The power rankings. They need to be like top five, right? Isn't that how you do power <laughs> yeah, rankings? Yeah, let's stop that. But you got you are probably an average team now. So like you know, hey, get the trophy, get the trophy for this. Like league average team, maybe better, maybe better than that going going forward so far this season. And this is a team that legitimately like there was some idea depending upon how the chips fell, if Daniel Jones struggled, their receivers are like, can't play, can never get on the field, knows going on. We didn't know what we were going to see from Saquon Barkley this year. Like there was a pathway where there could be a bottom three team in the NFL, bottom two team in the NFL this season. So the fact that that hasn't happened is like vastly exceeding expectations. And even for me, I got to give it up. I got to give credit when credit is due. Daniel Jones is playing well these last few weeks. He's rushing the ball. He's getting a lot of fantasy goodness rushing the ball. I mean, we don't expect 100 plus yards from him every single week, but that is very valuable from a team perspective also. And if you look at how they played, it was very easy to say, okay, they beat the Titans. They were not good in that Titans game outside of some Barkley long runs. They beat the Panthers. You don't have to be good. You don't even have to be like, you could be bad and beat the Panthers. They lose to Cooper Rush in the Cowboys those first three weeks. And then they beat the Chicago Bears where the Bears looked like a mess that game. And Daniel Jones was injured and everything else. So at that point, it was very fair to look at that team and say, okay, this is a three and one team. This is fraudulent. Completely fraudulent three and one. Now, the three and oh that they've had since then against the Packers, the Ravens, and the Jaguars has been much more legitimate to me. So I feel like they're a legitimate team that you could say is like playing better than a 500 team against a league average schedule. I can give you that, but I'm not giving you a top five team. This week in Seattle, Seattle favored by three points, game total resting at 45. So obviously you're firing up Saquon. And, you know, if you do look at the running backs that have been facing the Seattle def defense this year, one smash after another, obviously Austin Eckler coming off that overall RB1 performance. So you don't need me to tell you that. I do wonder with this Wandale Robinson hype, like how come Wandale Robinson goes out there and like, my God, I, I don't. I appreciate the work that the uh, Roto World account does, but, you know, sending 15 minutes into the Sunday, like, Wandale Robinson has caught all three of his targets. You leave out for the 12 yards part, but, like, just... 1.9. 1.9 1.9 last week. So, yeah. People want this to happen so bad. So bad. <laughs> so, they're manufacturing touches for him. Uh, he's not having to, like, get open to get those touches it's something in PPR. Hey, you'll, you'll log it. You'll, you'll take it. You know, you'll, it would be like somewhere between like a low end wide receiver two type of production. If it was going to continue out for the rest of the season, it's just like how much of that can you do and still be a healthy offense? I'm not quite sure. We need to see him get down the field a little bit more. Now, on the other hand, Darius Slayton does get downfield. He scores a touchdown and we just act like he doesn't exist. Darius Slayton. They're trying to get rid of this guy. All offseason, they He's were like, Corey, like, will you give us a bag of chips for Darius Slayton? And nobody would. So it is interesting to me just that Darius Slayton going out there, doing a lot of good things too, and we ignore that part of it. My big takeaway has just always been, I don't think this passing game, which what Daniel Jones has been playing better. I think he's at six passing touchdowns this year though. Like it's just not enough meat on the bone, I think for more than one guy to maybe emerge as a low end, like top 24 guy. Maybe it is Wondell Robinson in full PPR. I would just slow, you know, the coronation a little bit. That's all. That's all. 
third place, five and two Dallas Cowboys this week. They're facing the Bears, nine and a half point favorites at home. Game total resting out lowly, 42 and a half. Is the Cowboys defense being this good, Kevin, a problem for the offense that they might not really be able to overcome the same way? Because they don't need to really put the ball in the air as much as they did in 2020, in 2021. And if that is the case, we really do need to rein in expectations for all the pass catchers involved in this offense. Yeah, it's not just the defense being good. They are very similar to the Eagles in terms of schedule. Um, I mean, let's go over some of some of their schedules. They have the Bears, they have a bye, they have the Packers who might not be good. They have the Vikings who are, you know, they're they're okay. Giants, you know, whatever you think about the Giants again. Colts, Texans, Jaguars, eventually Commanders and Titans. Yeah, I mean, it's just like it's an easy-ish sort of schedule, a much tougher schedule though than than the the Eagles. So I think they are going to be pressed to pass a little bit more. I don't think it's going to be the norm. What we saw last week where Dak only drops back 28 times a pass. He was pretty efficient as far as his passing 8.3 yards per attempt uh, over 11 yards on his a dot throwing it down the field a bit there. So I, I'm much more, much higher on their need to pass it going forward. I think that is going to be there for them. So I would be happy to have, you know, CD lamb, I don't know about the running back situation is a little bit difficult, but at least CeeDee Lamb, I feel like he's going to come on for the rest of the season. Okay, so with the Cowboys defense doing their thing, I think the other point to look at is the fact that Dak is back. Zeke scores the two touchdowns last week. Life is good again. You know, if you took him in the fourth or fifth round, however far he happened to be falling there in August. The problem with Zeke, though, this year, Kevin, someone that I don't think anyone really considers a dynamic pass catcher or ever has considered a dynamic pass catcher, but he used to catch a lot of passes. I mean, if you look at 2018 and 2021, 77 catches, 54, 52, 47 receptions last year. This pace is this year. Ezekiel Elliott is on pace to catch 15 passes, staying in the pass block. They're using Tony Pollard differently. They're throwing a Dalton Schultz. They're being just a more run heavy offense in general. But I have Ezekiel Elliott RB21 this week. I really don't think he needs to be squeezed into fantasy lineups, even though Dak is back. I know this is a matchup, nine and a half point home favorites. This would seemingly be the spot for Zeke. With that said, it's not the same pass game role. It's not even the same workhorse role. This year, 100% of his games have had a snap rate under 70%. I mean, previous years, it's 59, 53, 19, 0, 10, and 47%. So the Cowboys aren't keeping him on the field as much. When he is on the field, he's not catching passes. He is like the definition at this point of a touchdown-dependent RB2. Yeah, yeah. And here's some legit breaking news. I got, I got something that's, that's that's legit here. Um I don't that's going to affect what we're talking about here. This would like profile as a perfect sort of matchup for maximizing Zeke, but he's not practicing today. He says he's working with rehabilitation specialist. He has a knee injury. So like if they're destroying and their defense is destroying this week, like will he even be able to get the reps right to get there or will it end up being more of a Pollard week? And if he doesn't play at all, then it's it's like party time. Oh my god, the Pollard party time. This will be the most outlandish, just craziest. Uh, my god, nerds will just be getting drunk on their Pollard chairs like crazy. Absolutely, we'll all just pass out before the game even happens. We'll be so happy about what's going to go on here. So, that's something to potentially look forward to. I mean, Pollard would be locked in top 10, top put him wherever the hell you want. In the top, oh, 10. yeah, yeah, it'll be higher than, than yeah, even higher than 10. Yeah, yeah. 
Put him right behind Josh Jacobs for all I care. You're starting him no matter what. And I will say, Kellen Moore, I, when I did a nice study this offseason looking at what offenses have been willing to give out workhorse roles. They have in the past. I mean, Zeke has had years where they barely ever take him off the field. And when Zeke has, I think, only missed one game, we got that Tony Pollard game against the 49ers a couple years ago. I believe he was the overall RB1, the only game that Zeke has missed. So Tony Pollard to the moon, obviously, if Zeke is going to be out. But yeah, CeeDee Lamb still locked in as a wide receiver one. Michael Gallup, man, man Kevin, you know, watch him. I, I've watched enough of my damn helicopters burst into flames. I've become numb to the losing feeling at this point. But what pisses me off is the process for that play was I do these shadow matchups every single week. And Michael Gallup, I crunched the numbers. I watched the film. I did everything I wanted to do. And I played Michael Gallup because this was a high-scoring game, and he was, in my opinion, going to see shadow coverage from Amani Aruwarie, who was PFF's 108th graded cornerback out of 109 freaking qualified players in coverage. I asked you last week who you thought 109 was. You correctly answered J.C. Jackson. So that's how bad that matchup was. J.C. Jackson, we should should say. So too bad for that guy. And we, yeah, that's true. But we got the donut from Gallup in that matchup. Like to get the matchup I wanted, man. Like I just figured like, oh, okay. Not enough passes. Not enough passes. Noah Brown, you know, continues to out snap him and was, (sighs) was more involved. So, yeah. So, hey, I got the L on my forehead. It's all good. You know, I'll go cry more about it later. Last place, Washington Commanders at three and four. Taylor Heineke getting no respect as a three-point dog in Indianapolis against Sam Ellinger. What is going on, Kevin, where Taylor Heineke, as you said, is Brett Favre if he never had an ounce of talent in any bone in his body? Okay, I know you didn't put it exactly that way. Hey, I think we got a lot of Taylor Heineke experience last week. I mean, if you just look, they, it was like fourth quarter of that game when Terry McLaurin was starting just to cook Jair Alexander. They showed it like first 10 passes of the game. Absolutely brutal. He had the pick six. He had another fumble that got taken back to the house that he got bailed out on because there's an illegal contact. He had multiple dropped interceptions on top of that. I mean, he had the worst grade of the week, (laughs) the worst PFF grade of the week, but yet somehow bought himself more rope Ah, for Sam Howell not getting in there. You know, by getting this W, like obviously he's actually gets himself and puts himself in a better position besides even though he was not good at all, I don't think last week you know who was good terry mclaurin i swear terry mclaurin has the most aesthetically like eye test pleasing 70 yard performances of like any other wide receiver in the nfl taking it to jair alexander this was the first time that jair alexander registered a shadow matchup since week seven of 2020 it did not go well look jair's played enough great football I, I think he's a great cornerback he really has gotten beaten like a drum over the years when he has had these shadow matchups Amari Cooper went for over 200 on him a couple of years ago just not great when he has been asked to travel with number one that said you know it is Terry McLaurin but man he always does seem to get that shadow treatment I do think it's going to be McLaurin for Stefan Gilmore this week are you confident enough in Heineke to go back to the well with Terry and to a lesser extent, Curtis Samuel? I still will probably have both more so in that wide receiver three range as opposed to bumping them up in the top 24. That said, if Jahan Dotson and Diami Brown do remain sidelined, that will help matters for both. I mean, I'm okay with McLaurin being a little bit, you know, seeing him as a pretty solid wide receiver too, honestly. I mean, I know it was only one week. I know he didn't have eye-popping sort of stats, but it's clear that this you know, aggression slash recklessness that we see from Heineke means that he's willing to throw it to the first read more often than some other quarterbacks may be willing to do so. And that's when Curtis Samuel will get 
targets as probably not. Let's hope these like two yard eight <laughs> passes are not the first read, even if they're manufacturing some stuff from them a lot of the time. And McLaurin is, so he's going to get more targets with Heineke. I think we can be confident in that. And I love talent, right? I'm a, I, I'm a talent enthusiast and McLaurin is very, very talented. And even if he's not putting up the big stats, I mean, we saw, especially on that last play of the game, they needed a catch to close out the game. And against Alexander, he just says, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take the catch. I'm going to take the ball. I'm going to take your soul, and I'm going to win this game. And I, I love that type of player. First place, NFC North. Minnesota Vikings at 5-1. Five 5-1, and one. Five and one, the Vikings. I feel like this I is fraudulent. The they know they're fraudulent, though. That's, I love <laughs> Vikings fans because when you say – I don't even have to say the Vikings are overrated. They're yelling it at me. I'm like, okay, I get it, Vikings fans. You're overrated. Like maybe maybe, maybe they're, they're, they're a little – I have to start leaning in the other direction. They're yelling at me so much how overrated they are. On the one hand, I know what you're saying because they haven't – played as well as you would think a five and one team has been playing but on the other hand couldn't we be like they haven't played as well as they can probably play and they still are five and one i mean kirk cousins hasn't even hit 300 yards with three passing touchdowns in a game yet i mean dalvin cook is looking you know awfully spry out there he uh he had he had a funny tweet uh, he's swearing against throwing the ball in the stands again after uh you know getting fined like five or ten k for that just pennies i guess uh if you're in that position but still just kind of a ridiculous penalty I, I, don't, I don't know i think players should be able to throw footballs in the stands as much as they want that aside again like where's the love for kevin o'connell because they haven't played that well and he's got them sitting at five and one yeah i think it's just people have watched watched the games and said <laughs> oh this is kind of painful like that dolphins game again they had 14 drives in the game three touchdown drives and then 11 three and outs i mean that's just like that's just painful to watch i do think there was the hype though like week one remember Remember when, you know, Justin Jefferson was running free, um, everyone, it was all roses, was coming up roses for everyone. It's gotten a little bit bad since then. Cousins is not throwing the ball down the field a lot. Um, he's not taking sacks also, which is good, but he's not taking a lot of risks and he's not pushing things. And they're just taking these three and outs uh, as part of the offense. So, I mean, I would say if you looked at the Vikings last season, I think they started off two and three, maybe, maybe even worse than that at some point. They were playing better probably at that point last season, better than their record than they are so far this season. So I agree they could get better and they're five and one, but they've been playing like a three and three type of team. Maybe even, you know, that would have leaned more towards two and four sometimes than four and two. So yeah, they can get better, but the, you know, I don't know if they have like five and one type of team ceiling here. I will say, looking at the actual teams they played, it does really start to abundantly show that. Look, that week one win against the Packers is aging worse and worse by the day. Beat down against the Eagles, you know, Kirk Cousins Monday Night Football. Yeah, we know. Four-point win over the Lions, three-point win over the Saints with the missed field goal at the end to help. Bears, they only beat by seven in a Dolphins offense led by, look, a great quarterback in Skylar Thompson, but it is, I guess, some people want to call him a backup, but only won that one by eight, and it was a game into the fourth quarter. So I will say with Dalvin Cook, he's scoring the touchdowns. It's a good offense. He should see 20 touches more times than not. I still do think he's better off being treated more so as a lower-end RB1 because he's just not getting the pass game role these days. If you look at him throughout the years, he's always averaged between 3.8 and 4.5 targets per game. This year, just two. 2.7. I don't think it's a fluke. Like this is an offense led by Kevin O'Connell from the Sean McVay coaching tree that really only went out of their way to get Todd Gurley involved. And even that was more so like Todd Gurley being awesome and them scheming up 
well-designed, you know, receiving opportunities that Prime Gurley made the most of. I just don't think Cook is going to be the same sort of target hog or, uh, you know, the wide receiver. This is the worst of the group, Kevin. At least the Packers and Cowboys have actually, like, used those two running back formations. Where is the Dalvin Cook wide receiver experiment that we heard all about, you know, in July and August gone? Oh, well, start It's all start nonsense. Taking. This pony personnel. I don't want to – I don't <laughs> – I guess they, someone said the jet. I think it was a friend, our friend, uh, um, uh, victory lapping enthusiast, John, uh, Josh Norris was talking about the pony personnel, how, um, uh, LaFleur there was, was his only person to implement it successfully. And I think he was using as evidence, the fact that they were averaging like 6.6 yards per play or something. It's like, <laughs> that's that. you know, it's probably one of these like Warren Sharp splits where it's like 17 plays and they're averaging 6.6 .6 yards per play. It's like, who cares? You know? Um, anyway, sorry. I'm not, now I'm not, I've gone back to negative. I, I like to hate. I'm sorry. I went back to hater. I'll, I'll get back to positive Kevin going forward. Hey, you know, we're, we're just these little minions talking about the great Josh Norris, who I'm seeing on those underdog fantasy commercials all the time now. Love you, Josh, if you happen to be listening to this. I, yeah, know I think he's leaning into the victory lap bit, so I, I, yeah, I, I appreciate that. A good bit is always is always something you should lean into. And the underdog show, fantastic stuff. Him and Hayden Wayne. Oh, yeah, no, I love that. I love the now. underdog show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Uh, their film versus analytics episode is fantastic. This week, the Vikings playing the Arizona Cardinals. Vikings are favored by three and a half game total at 49. Final note here, not that you were overly worried about, you know, this potential matchup with Byron Murphy and Justin Jefferson. I will note, though, we all remember Murphy doing a great job shadowing Devontae Adams, held him to two catches, 12 yards, and one touchdown all the way back in week two. Since then, a lot of reps in the slot. They've just used him more as a chess piece than like a one-on-one -on -one shadow corner. So he did not one-on-one -on -one track. AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, or Chris Alave. So any, you know, sort of DFSers out there, if you do think people are overly fading Justin Jefferson, I would not because of that perceived tough matchup. Second place, Green Bay Packers sitting there at three and four. In Buffalo, Sunday night football, Buffalo favored by 10 and a half. You mentioned on the AFC uh, pod, Kevin, how that line last year was or in the preseason was expecting to be only four points. Now booming all the way up here. Game total about 47 and a half. So one, we're not worried. 10, my God, this is a terrible offense. What's our panic meter for the Green Bay Packers? Uh, seven, maybe, yeah. maybe seven and a half. I just don't see the path to getting out of this. Um, we have Rogers, you know, publicly calling for everyone to be benched. Like who's left though. It's going to be like that Will Smith in the living room, the empty living room meme, except for Aaron Rodgers standing there when all of his receivers have been benched because it's not like Rogers have been playing fantastically well. Um, but I'm not, you know, some people are like, I can't believe he said that. It's not whatever you, you play like shit. You should be benched. I think it's fine. I think guys are playing they're pretty shitty. Like maybe Romeo Dobbs is just not good at football. Yeah. We're starting to get some of that vibe from him. Sammy Watkins looked like he can he could barely move when he I was know, out there was running bad. around out there. Randall Cobb is gone. Um, Aaron Jones seems to be the only thing that maybe is going well in this offense. And the AJ Dillon case, which I liked in the preseason of the fact that this would be run heavy type of team. I didn't believe the pony personnel nonsense, but run heavy type of team, grind out games, play good defense. Just none of that has come to fruition. And that's really hurt him. But Aaron Jones maybe is the guy you can, the only guy you can really look at here and say, uh, I'm going to start him. And everyone else is just a dart throw. Exactly. Because right now with Alan Lazard dealing with that shoulder injury, he's not even someone we can trust at this point. So Aaron Jones, everyone else, you cannot start them. 
Hopefully that week seven usage from Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon persists, at least for Jones managers. He had 77% of the snaps, just 28% for AJ Dillon. Now we were talking about this, you know, going into week six where it looked like things were trending towards Jones and they went back to 50-50. So not a guarantee, but at a minimum, man, let's just keep this pass game usage this way. I mean, look, I think Dillon can do some things, you know, in the run. I'm not just going to compare their yards per carry because I know they're used differently. And Dillon's being asked to, you know, grind it up the middle. Jones is being more of the slasher type. That said, man, going into last week, the targets were in favor of Aaron Jones, only 23 to 20. We got 10 targets for Jones and zero for Dylan last week. So great to see you there. Only problem is this Bills defense has been awfully good against running backs. Derrick Henry was the RB30 when he played them. Najee RB45, Daryl Henderson RB21, Clyde Edwards-Alaire RB46, Moster RB69. Not so nice there. So Jones still a top 15 option, but man, I just, we've seen the Bills again, just roll over on some teams sometimes. It's hard to imagine that happening to Aaron Rodgers, but it's been hard to imagine this start happening to Aaron Rodgers as well. So Aaron Jones, and that is it. Actually, one small piece of, I don't know if it's news. I don't know. I don't know who reported it, but shout out Roto World for, uh, you know, just breaking it on just my news feed. Or just Not news. breaking, but saying the report is that Packers could address their wide receiver issues with a tight end. And it's got a picture of Mike Jasicki. So with a yeah, tight end, Jesus Christ. Like, I don't know, uh, man. Tony is not the problem. <laughs> I think you're saying they can address their wide receiver issue, and I'm like, okay, yeah, they just they just republish that report like every month for the last three years. Um, yeah, trade back for Devontae. That'd be kind of cool. ESPN's Dan Graziano, I guess. So, okay, we'll see what happens. Anyway, three and four Chicago Bears this week in Dallas. Cowboys favored by nine and a half. Lowly 42 and a half point game total. Look at Justin Fields doing what he did last year. You know, four straight appearances to start the year, just brutal one after another, not giving us any sort of fantasy upside. All of a sudden, three straight games as a top 12 quarterback, getting harder and harder to keep him out of the top 12 every week because the man knows and loves how to run. And the passing game has gone from, you know, a weekly atrocity to, hey, maybe we could throw for 200 yards today. It's at least in the realm of possibility. So, Overall, on the season, quarterbacks actually are on pace to rush for over, um, I mean, have over 100 carries. Jalen Hurts is number one at 218, but in second place is Justin Fields. 165 carries is his current pace. NFL record is 2019 Lamar with 176. So, I saw you say on your Twitter, Kevin, you know, giving some credit there to Chicago for increasing Justin Fields' design runs. Bears are three and four, man. Do you think this team could actually – look, I'm not saying they're going to go out there and win uh, the NFC, but – could you view them like the Giants and say, hey, this is an average team? Are we there? <laughs> no, we're not average. Okay, come on. Just starts cracking what, up. What the hell is going on over there? Like, you need to check your CO2 meter or something. Hey, they just house, beat down. Right? Hey, well, well, how come Belichick didn't take away Fields, man? Is he not the number one option? Like, what is this? Justin yeah, yeah. Fields that's is the a first good point. Player, I mean, whatever. It, it's first possible. player ever to beat it. I agree that, that they could be like a better, they could be not the, like the worst team in the NFL. Cause that's kind of where they were trending before along with the Texans, along with the Panthers and that sort of mire. So they're getting out of that. But like you said, we're kind of like hoping we're going to get this rational coaching going forward. You talked about how many carries he's getting. Yeah. He's getting a lot of carries, but these were scrambles, you know, going into this week, they had 43 scrambles out of 58 rushing attempts this last week um they had 14 rushing attempts and 12 of those 14 were design runs only two scrambles very very different and it's also going back to last year this is not like a new phenomenon last year you had 140 carries 
80 of those were scrambles. So the vast majority of those were scrambles. He was never getting, I believe, more than five designed rushes, five, six designed rushes in any game. He got 12 in this game. Yes, this is what we want. It's what we've been dying to have. I think part of it is bad coaching that we haven't gotten to this point. I think part of it is Justin Fields. Like he probably just doesn't want to be a design run quarterback because that's not where the glory is. That's not what you're like paid to do in the NFL. And if you even look at Lamar Jackson, he's not getting paid yet. Right. And he is a guy who can pass it and can run it a lot too. It's a more replaceable sort of commodity, but we saw positive words from Justin Fields about this, about what he did there. So I think we can count on it going forward. So now I am in along with the entire world to say that Justin Fields is probably a guy you can rank now matchup dependent somewhat but in your top 12 quarterbacks because of this design run factor we finally see it we've seen positive words could they go back on it yes but this is the first real indication that we're doing the right thing with justin fields pff's highest graded offensive line in run blocking has also helped david montgomery and khalil so i didn't mean to be too harsh there on laughing at them being an average <laughs> team but <laughs> they're definitely not an average team it, it is true that literally after the first couple of weeks like unironic questions on like if this is the worst team that you know we have maybe yeah. ever seen so now I, I hear you there but in this backfield i really don't i think it's like dallas david montgomery is the lead back as much as we might want khalil herbert to take over i don't see it happen now it is getting close-ish like Herbert is going to find his way into 10 plus combined carries and targets but I just don't anticipate a takeover happening like yeah if Montgomery gets hurt Herbert's going to be right back into the position's top 15 in the meantime though really would continue to not overly trust Khalil Herbert he needs to be incredibly efficient to make up for these lack of touches Dave Montgomery like Zeke touchdown dependent RB2 think that about does it for the bears let's talk some lines here one in five the roar has not been restored kevin it's not looking good this week either at home against the dolphins who are favored by three and a half game total at 51 and a half so what is jared goff is he just a son of his parts qb because at this point he hasn't had his parts i get it he's not really helping matters though you look at turnover worthy play rates it is a stat that sounds exactly like what it is it is exactly what it sounds like i should say a dropped interception, which yes, we do measure that would include this. And this year, the only quarterbacks that have been more turnover prone than Jared Goff, Tua, and Zach Wilson. Like, this isn't supposed to be what we're expecting out of Jared Goff. He's supposed to be game manager taking care of the football, and that's not him. He's also not making the big time throws, just 24th among 35 qualified quarterbacks in that. So, again, DJ Chark's been out. Amon Ross St. Brown's been out. DeAndre Swift has been out. 26th ranked offensive line team pass blocking grade. So he's not getting a lot of help. But when we're just trying to, again, project these other players, it wasn't that long ago, Kevin, that we were having serious conversations about Josh Reynolds or getting TJ Hawkinson in the top five or Jamal Williams doing his thing without DeAndre Swift. All of a sudden, the NFL's single best scoring offense entering week five has scored six total points in their last eight quarters of football. Is this broke or is it just as simple as, yeah, the good guys are out. Once they're back, this will be another great offense. Yeah, I don't think it's broke. I think it's just like Goff can give you these types of performances when he's under pressure. Dallas Cowboys generate pressure, generate like significant pressure, meaning multiple guys getting to the quarterback at the same time. The Patriots, everything just kind of fell apart in those games. These are floor games for Goff. I don't think you're going to get the high level of play that we saw from the offense early in the season where people were saying, is this a top five offense? That sort of thing. Like, no, they're not a top five offense. They're definitely an above average offense. And I would expect that from them going forward. It's just you have to live with what we've seen here. And it becomes especially painful uh, when you have 
splits and this offense like Jamal Williams are hoping for big things from him. He's getting it split up. You have him on raw St. Brown going out early. As we talked about, you don't have enough unless you have a high end offense to really make TJ Hawkinson, a elite type of tight end player. So they're going to get back to it, but this can happen in any given week, depending upon how the game script and the pressure and everything else flows forward, because this defense is not stopping anybody that that's something we can count on. The NFL's concussion protocol, which just makes a ton of sense. Uh, Amon Ra was not concussed, but he missed the rest of the game because of concussion-like symptoms. So, okay, great. Be safe with it. I get it, but it's just, again. People are going to be pissed about this in the playoffs, if this happens in the playoffs. Like, I get it during the regular season. Everyone's, everyone's like, you know, we'll flip back around. Everyone could be outraged about the lack of taking players out of the game, and then when they do get taken out of the game, then everyone will be outraged at that at the same time. It's just one of those things where, like, if you're telling me that they're passing the test, but then all of a sudden they still can't come back in, then what's the point of doing the tests in the first place? Are we just going to – we're literally now just relying on the eye test for everything with this. So, again, there are situations like, yeah, with Tua that he definitely should have been taken out of the game when the dude's falling to the ground, whatever. So, with Amonra, though, the amount of start-sick questions I was getting with him last week, man, was really surprising to me. Just to remind everyone what this dude has done in his last eight games, not impacted by injury. Remember, in week three, he messed up his ankle, and then he came back in a limited fashion before their bye against the Cowboys. He got concussed early. So last eight games, not impacted by injury. PPR wide receiver, six, 26, six, six, two, nine, 12, four. He is an every week PPR wide receiver one. Stop asking me, start sick questions with the Monroe St. Brown. The I didn't hear wide receiver one oh. though in that list overall. <laughs> I didn't hear it. Was, so that's, that's you know. Cooper Cup. come on, you know, if you got Cooper <laughs> Cup versus Monroe in a one wide receiver league, fine. But yes, please, for the love of God, start a Monroe St. Brown. Everyone else is going to be tough, and unfortunately, that does include Jamal Williams because his role just hasn't changed even with DeAndre Swift out of the picture. Last week, just 45% of the snaps because they are going to keep Craig Reynolds and Justin Jackson involved. So really was looking great, you know, that first week without Swift, found the end zone a couple times, just the RB51, RB31 over the past two weeks. So he's not going to fumble out the goal line like he did last week, every single week, at least I'd hope not, knocking on wood. I think he's uh, but, like, a, I think it's like his first – or second fumble of his career or something. I, know, I heard some ridiculous stat about how he never fumbles and this happens. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not expecting that to necessarily happen every single week again, but still just that overall usage, only one target on the game, not what you want to see. It's just going to be a touchdown dependent RB2, RB3 type and an offense that again has not been scoring many touchdowns lately. NFC South somehow still first place three and four Buccaneers this week home on Thursday night football facing the favorite Baltimore Ravens one and a half point favorites game total about 45. So I said same thing with Green Bay, you know, one, we're not worried 10 completely sound the panic alarms. I believe he says seven for Green Bay. What, where are we at for Tampa Bay? Mm, four or five, I would say a little bit less for Tampa Bay. The defense has been good against the pass has been really poor against the run, which is Somewhat shocking because normally Todd Bowles' defense is always good in that area. Brady, I don't know. He doesn't look washed necessarily with oh. how he's been passing the ball. Obviously, we had the big Mike Evans drop last week that could have turned into something. They were moving the ball decently successful. They just could not convert third downs, which was stalling out the offense. And I think that'll change around a lot. And again, all these runs, they just have these runs that are just please stop. <laughs> Byron Leftwich, please stop. He la the guy laughed at EPA. You could not laugh at EPA. That's a good, good. I thought it was funny that so many people were like upset about that. I'm like, I don't really care if the offensive <laughs> coordinator 
laughs at EPA stats, not knowing what it is. Like, it's not that big. It's almost like fireable offense. Okay, calm down, people. Um, <laughs> so stop running Fournette into a half a yard and cloud of dust. Open it up a bit more. Get everyone healthy. All those sort of things. Play a little bit better run defense. And I think this team could still compete for, you know, the NFC championship this year. I'm, I'm more convinced there's a path to fixing things here than there is for the Green Bay Packers. Did you read the uh, Kevin O'Connor profile on, on on your guy Daryl Mooney at the Ringer? No, I did not. Dude, it was a good one. Um, I was reading it last night. I was trying to find it. Yeah, uh, Daryl Daryl Morey. I'm sorry, I'm not a basketball. I was gonna say Daryl Mooney. I have like, <laughs> Darnell Mooney going on in my head, but yeah, no, just yeah. some of the stuff that uh, uh, Morey was saying just about analytics, and I think it just echoes kind of our main issue with it, where we just say this without really, you know, actually coming in and bringing up the factors that go into it that a lot of people try to actually, uh, you know, dismiss. But basically, the uh, Let's see, this is from a guy, but yeah, because as I tell people all the time, analytics is a guide, not a god. I just thought that was a good quote from that. So yeah, when we see yeah. this and we see it on the broadcast and we're trying to dunk on these coaches, like a lot of times it's a decision that's like 51% versus 49%. So on both sides of the thing, you're going to be wrong half the time regardless, even if you're technically making the right decision. So guess what? If it is a 2% difference and you do have a play that you especially trust and we can have some factors like that that we can't measure as well, then freaking go for it, but just quit it blaming every single bad outcome on analytics. And but seriously, can... don't run Leonard Fournette on first down. Yes, and that's, and 10. that's the main for the point. Love, for the love, for the love of God. Hey, you know, I got a new theory though. I mean, if you notice, like Brady, he looks kind of like things are bad. The whole divorce thing. Um, you know what I was wondering about? Because I was thinking back in the day, like Giselle. There was one point in time where she basically like called the low for the dollar versus the euro, where it was like a story like Giselle, supermodel Giselle is going to start taking her money in euros instead of dollars. Right. Do you think this divorce has nothing to do with Brady coming back for, to play, but it's actually that he convinced her to put all of her money in crypto and like apes and punks and everything else. And now she is like destitute and she doesn't can't even look at him without throwing up basically every single day. And that's what actually caused the divorce is that she's sitting on a bunch of worthless punks. Second place Atlanta Falcons at three and four <laughs> this week, facing off against the Panthers. Four we'll and get a to half that later. point. We'll get favorites. to that later. We'll get to that later. Yeah, we'll, we'll save that one for the uh, for, for the finale. Game total at forty two. So this Falcons offense this year, I believe their pass play rate is at forty six point nine percent. Made me think: Is this the most run heavy offense that we have seen pretty much ever? PFF's database goes back to two thousand and six. I got all the way back to two thousand nine before I found the team that has been more run heavy. Can you guess who it was, Kevin? Two thousand nine they're they're an afc east team um i guess the jets yep rex ryan's jets they were like 42 percent hilarious oh, there was low. one game okay there was this this is not during the geno smith era right now geno smith comes no, no. but i remember there was one game during the gym this is during the this is during the mark sanchez, sanchez. era. yeah 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 okay okay but there's so there are some games where they just like refuse to pass the ball it was absolutely comical but go ahead sorry that's where the Falcons are at this point. And uh, I love the stat from Sam Hoppin uh, threw it out there. Again, Joe Flacco still has more pass attempts than Marcus Mariota this season. Reminder, Joe Flacco has not played football in over a month at this point. So Drake London, Kyle Pitts, they're really good. Like, is Kyle Pitts freaking not even a tight end one at this point? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills, Kevin. He has the high targets per route rate. They just refuse to throw the football and going down with the ship, even though they don't have Cordero Patterson. So is because this is the question everyone wants to know. 
What the hell are we doing with Kyle Pitts? Is he someone that should legit not be started over guys like Hayden Hurst at this point? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know. And the thing is, like what you're missing, what you're losing out on, you're never going to lose out on super high end type of outcome if you're not if you're not if you're not starting if you're starting pits over Hayden Hurst. Yeah, sometimes you might lose a matchup, but it's not like you're going to give up a 30 point outbreak or something like that. You know, he was targeted twice in the end zone, you know, held one time, somehow couldn't get in on another time. So at least there's something there. And I don't know. I think things have to change. And I was saying Terry Fontenot, the GM, he needs to get he needs to he needs to get in the ear of the owner who can then talk to Arthur Smith and be like, dude. We drafted Kyle Pitts at number four. We took Drake London as the first wide receiver off the board. We got you Marcus Mariota, who's a functional quarterback. It's not like we're playing the third-round rookie Desmond Ritter. Mariota's been fairly efficient throwing the ball this year. This 20% under-expectation passing offense, when we're down 21 points in the first quarter, we've had enough. Like, we need to stop doing that. Yeah, we've been good running the ball. We'll continue to be a relatively run-heavy team, but we cannot do this going forward and expect to have a successful franchise and develop these players, like develop these top 10 picks. You have multiple top 10 receivers who both look pretty good. It's not like they look like total busts. What are we doing here, Arthur Smith? That's the thing. I don't want to just be like, hey, throw the ball to Kyle Pitts because I drafted way too much of him two months ago. We gave Arthur Smith a lot of credit this time last week for having his top 10 offense in pretty much any category that you want to say is a meaningful uh, just way to quantify offensive success. And they're still top 12 in EPA per play and points per game. I just don't think it's exactly trending upwards. And to your previous point, you spent top 10 picks on these guys. So clearly you have some sort of big role for them planned in your mind. And that's just not happening. Like if you had, again, if we just told someone like, okay, this is the most run heavy offense in over a decade, you would assume that the quarterback is terrible. Marcus Mariota ranks seventh among 35 quarterbacks in yards per attempt. So I know that's, I'm not saying he's a top eight quarterback. I, Kevin might think Jimmy G's number one quarterback because he had the highest yards for attempt, but that isn't always the number one thing. Hey, but it, the analytics say, I that's all I know. <laughs> it's a piece of the puzzle, though. At the end of the day, like, who cares how impressive it is? The name of the game is picking up the most yards, the most points as possible on a per-play basis. So that's just the wild part to me. 27 pass attempts over the past two weeks. Unfortunately, with Pitts and Drake London, yeah, just got to move those expectations down. Talent does clearly seem to be there. And guys, I mean, London looked like a rookie of the year candidate, a yes. strong offensive rookie of the year candidate. What are we doing? What are we doing? I know Arthur, it's funny when I was thinking about Arthur Smith, Arthur Smith meeting with uh, Arthur. Was it blank? Is that the, is that the owner there? So. Yeah. Like he might be worth more money than it's, <laughs> you know, his, his, his dad is like the founder of FedEx or whatever. Yeah. So it's like, that's kind of a weird situation where you're sitting with the owner. And you're like, dude, I, I'm going to buy this team from you. If you don't shut up and tell stop telling me how to coach this week facing the Panthers four and a half point favorites. Yeah. I don't want to start really anyone in this offense. If I don't have to, we already talked about Kyle Pitts for a bit. One still starting Kyle Pitts. Let's still start Kyle Pitts. If we have him. I guess one more week till the Kings back, Kevin Cordero Patterson. He's sprinting. He's out there. (laughs) I I was going to breaking. I was going to maybe breaking news that where there wasn't really any breaking news, but you're right. It was basically hinting that it was going to be next week. Probably. It's looking good. Go 
freaking CPAT. All right, Panthers, two and five. Again, facing the Falcons in Atlanta this week. P.J. Walker, what a freaking performance, man. Six big-time throws on the game, hitting those honey hole shots against the cover twos. Beautiful touchdown back of the end zone to D.J. Moore. Look, I don't think it's going to persist or anything like that. Don't get me wrong. I love the former XFL Hall of Fame uh, MVP. But hey, man, what a game. We can appreciate that. A lot of quarterbacks never have a game as good as P.J. Walker just did, taking down Tom Brady by 18 points. Just, you know, two class for P.J. Walker. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I got to hate a little bit. Like, this was, this, was a, this was a close game in, like, the end of the third quarter sort of situation. Mm-hmm. So they did pile it on there at the end. Uh, D.J. Moore, maybe. There's a life raft out there if you've had him sitting around on your bench hoping for something. I don't think it's like a McLaurin Heineke type of situation as far as I'm, I'm much more you know enthused about the that sort of pairing. But at least we're getting something. And I think you can get like a usable player for DJ Moore now going forward as long as PJ Walker is going to stand there, stay there. And it sounds like he's got himself some rope. And the next in line is probably going to be Sam Darnold anyway, who has some success with Moore also. Um I would say fi- I was about to say fire him up, but you can't do that. But <laughs> put him in your no, lineup and, and don't be don't yeah. hate it. <laughs> Start him, but don't fire him up. Come on, man. There's, yeah, there's yeah, there. we're not firing. It's like that's that's too much. And this secondary, though, I mean, we saw it last week. Some of those guys, like, they just couldn't even. I, I know a lot of people struggle to stay close to Jamar Chase, but Casey Hayward, IR, AJ Terrell, considered week to week. D. Alford's not been playing. Mike Ford, Jalen Hawkins is banged up as well. Already yeah, this a second. Is like legit fifth stringers playing out there. It was kind of like that Baltimore situation last year for Burrow yeah. where he went nuclear. It's a very similar situation. And look, this wasn't a secondary that was exactly balling to begin with. A.J. Terrell had given up a league high, like seven touchdowns before he got injured. Things have not been going nearly as well now that he is shadowing the number one wide receiver week to week instead of sticking to one side of the field. Hey, respect to him. And I think, um, oh, who was it? it was uh, I've gotten to talk to Aqib Tlaib a few times on the podcast. Cool-ass guy. I always love uh, hearing him commentate as well. And I asked Aqib because, you know, he was someone that usually stayed on his side and didn't shadow much. And I was kind of expecting him to stick up for, you know, himself and the Shermans of the world. And he said, no, like guys like Revis who consistently follow number one, when we do want to do the top cornerback arguments and debates, you do got to give more credit to the guy consistently tracking number one on the other side of the field. So I'm not going to be too hard on AJ Terrell's drop off when the obvious competition level has increased a ton. Okay, last place, two and five Saints this week facing the Raiders. Uh, Raiders are one and a half point road favorites. Game total at 49 and a half. So defense been pretty bad like the falcons they are dealing with a lot of injuries marshawn Lattimore been out with an abdomen issue but really haven't looked all that good from start to finish the offense though is looking pretty good the saints got a little bit of lion seahawks in them man i know the team's not looking up they're in last place i don't think they have this you know great outcome and hey i'm not trying to insult the seahawks here i just mean it's a good offense an offense that is surpassing our expectations especially with andy dalton under center and the defense is bad like this is a fantasy friendly team and i think that's shown in that pretty gaudy 49.5 game total yeah yeah i think it is um dalton was proving the like pick sixes are good for for fantasy in in the last game although he hadn't been that much of a turnover type of guy uh before that it's weird that like they can't get 
Taysom Hill a little bit more involved. I just don't quite understand why they can't use him a bit more, but it's good for the offense, for the receivers. The fact that he's not being that involved here. We talked about offensive rookie of the year with Brees Hall down, you know, I don't know who it's going to be to step into that void, but Chris Olave is a guy who's looked really, really good so far um, and has filled in well with there being injuries there. I guess my question for this team, this is more of a team level thing. They are allergic to doing anything but going all in year after year after year after year. The trade deadline, I believe, is November 7th. So, like, if they lose this week and they're two and six, the right move would be commence rebuild now and get rid of some players, trade away some receivers, trade away Michael Thomas, maybe, if someone will take him. I don't know what's left on his contract. Um, Trade away Alvin Kamara if someone wants I don't him. think anyone's going to touch him with that current legal situation going on. True. But for this year, if, if, if people yeah. really want to, to, to play out for this year, just regardless, like that's where I would be leaning towards. I think Mickey Loomis is allergic to ever thinking like <laughs> that. But this seems like the perfect team to do that, to kickstart that rebuild now because it's over, guys. I'm sorry. We, we can't go all in another year with this team. It's done. Credit to Andy Dalton. He has surpassed, you know, my expectations and everything. And yeah, we did have the pick sixes out there. Had some very nice passes. Otherwise, well, only one that, of them was well, the pick sixes were not really his fault, but the yeah. interception in the end zone was his fault. Yeah, that was bad. He was he was starting to feel himself a little bit too much. Oh yeah, really yeah. Everyone to, was everyone. <laughs> whatever the tw the Twitter mentions, we get the Twitter uh, highlights were too good, and then it was boom, done. And look, he's only he only has Chris Olave out there. I mean, even Olave had a I don't think they were actually charged as drops, but it was a big hit by a defender. He could have had like an additional 40 yards out there. So really, Red Rocket has been playing fantastic. Alvin Kamara also been a major beneficiary of having Dalton under center. He caught five five total passes in two games with Jameis and three with Dalton, six, six, and seven receptions. This season only Joe Mixon and Austin. So wait, what's the status on Winston now? What is the status points. exactly? He's a backup quarterback. So it's done. Like it's yeah, okay, interesting. Right. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's just they got tired of the. That's James what I would experience. do. I would probably do that if I were the Saints. But I, I, the Jameis experience is fun, though. I don't know. Yeah, like you know, you're not. What's Dalton going to get you? Like you're not going to achieve any sort of ceiling with Dalton. I feel like Jameis gives you that boom scenario, but it's I. I he wasn't good though. He was he not wasn't. good. Even when he was healthy, he had like one good quarter basically. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. Again, I, I, I'm always got a soft spot for Jameis. So take my analysis with it, uh, you know, with a grain of salt. But again, he's a fun guy for better. And this year, certainly mostly worse. Okay. Moving on to the NFC West here. We got the first place. That's right. Your first place, Seattle Seahawks, four and three, led by Geno Smith and Drew Locke. This week, facing off against the Giants. Seahawks favored by three points. Game total at 45. Kenneth Walker. Man's absolutely balling. He's not getting targets. It doesn't matter because the Seahawks are right there with the Texans, one of those teams where we are going to see their league guy get 20-plus touches more weeks than not. That said, it has been awfully good game script for him. They blew out the Chargers. They beat the Cardinals by 10 points. And we do see DJ Dallas there being annoyingly involved on pass downs. Travis Homer does have a good chance, I believe, of getting back this week off IR. So I don't want to really overthink it, man, but do you think Kenneth Walker is really someone like if you're if you're if you're a team basically and you have three or four top 12 running backs, like could he be the odd man out? Or are we looking at like the top five running back he's been? Because I still I get nervous when I look at his stats last week. It's 23 carries making all this happen, zero targets. The floor for him, I think, could become really annoying if we see the Seahawks team start to be in more, you know, comeback mode situations. To their credit, we haven't seen that happen yet. 
I get it. 99% of the time, you're just starting Kenneth Walker. Am I sober thinking it, Kevin? Yeah, I think you're <laughs> I think you're overthinking it. <laughs> I mean, in fact, some of the internals on Walker got better last week. He ran 62% of routes uh versus only 39% the week before. And you know, DJ Dallas was he, he wasn't targeted, right? So that's the problem. But DJ Dallas wasn't really wasn't really targeted either when he was out there. They just weren't throwing the ball to the running back. So I think it becomes one of those things where like what is a workhorse sort of workload that we're like an ideal sort of workload? If we look at Kenneth Walker and we say 73% of snaps, 70% of rushing attempts, 62% of routes run. I mean, that is good, good, good. I know that DJ Dallas is mixing in, but it's impossible to not at least have a guy mix in right now. So no, I, I'm, I'm pretty high on Walker. I wouldn't be in the cell camp here. I understand, though, being worried he's not going to bust off 60-yard runs every single week like he seems to do. Of course, that's not going to happen, but I still think the internals are pretty strong for him. Again, it's I, I equate it to Damian Pierce because last week, Damian Pierce only played like 52 or 55% of the snaps because they were losing a lot, and they brought in Rex Burkhead to take a lot of those, and even Dario Gumbawale. With that said, Damian Pierce still had 24 freaking combined carries and targets, so didn't really matter. Long way of saying, yeah, just continue to fire up Kenneth Walker. Same thing with the god himself, Geno Smith. PFF passing grade fifth among 35 quarterbacks, third in QB rating, fifth in yards per attempt, fifth in adjusted completion rate, tied for seventh in fantasy points per game. He has had, you know, a little bit more turnover worthy play rate that is elevating. He's 24th in that. But unlike, you know, some of these other guys we've talked about, he does have the third highest big time throw rate. So he's being aggressive. Some of them go bad. A lot of them are going good, though. We do have DK Metcalf dealing with this knee injury. We'll see what happens. Pete Carroll won't rule him out for this week. And I'm just, I'm getting Chris Carson vibes from this again, man. Like, God, Pete, just, I know you want to be an optimist, but do you have to just say these freaking things? With maybe, maybe he, he's also, he's good friends with uh, Russell Wilson. Maybe he also has Wolverine blood. <laughs> maybe there's an oversupply of Wolverine. Maybe he had a Wolverine blood transfusion there. So yeah, we'll see. The only thing I'll say about Gino is he is doing this thing where I'm actually a little bit surprised when I was looking at the yards per attempt of 7.8 yards last year. Like his EPA wasn't great because they weren't converting on third down because when you're watching red zone, like you're seeing some, some high-end shit from Gino. So I thought he would even have more of a high-end outcome. I do think he produces in a way, he's like the anti-Jimmy where he produces in a way that's like the, the EPA type of efficiency is never going to be where the impressiveness and the big timidness of the throws are because he likes, loves to throw the ball down the field and make these very difficult throws. And that's when it comes to turnover worthy plays, just taking what the defense gives you isn't his forte. So that becomes a problem sometimes when it comes to like converting third downs, when you should be able to convert and things like that. But of course, generally we can't complain about what we've been seeing from, from Gino at all. So maybe check the expectations a little bit if Metcalf is going to be out. Shout out Marquise Goodwin. Well, he could, he could have like a three INT game that just blows up. I mean, you talked about those old uh, Jets. If you look at some of the old box scores, he has a wild box scores. I remember three. he was two for five with three interceptions in one in one game and was benched in the first quarter. So, yeah, that, that's still there deep underneath that could possibly come out. So we hope not to see it, but it's possible. It is interesting, though. It's not like he was bouncing around as this like journeyman starter after those Jets years. He was a backup for Eli, for Rivers, and then obviously for Russell Wilson, and just really was never needed to go out there. So I know he still wasn't great in the preseason and all that, but hey, Geno Smith, it, the the sample size keeps getting larger and larger, Kevin. He looks like a top 10 quarterback. The stats say he's a top 10 quarterback. At some point, mainstream media needs to admit the man is a top 10 quarterback, but should be a fun game this week against the Giants. Oh, Rams. Top 15. 
top 15 quarterback. There we go. There we go. <laughs> you got that for me. All right, go ahead. Se- second place Rams, three and three, coming off the bye this week. They're facing off against the 49ers, who are favored by one and a half points. Game total out of lowly 43. Is the bye week going to fix all the problems? Let's, let's make it three for three. So Packers, we said a seven panic out of one out of 10. Buccaneers, I believe you said about four, four and a half. Where's your panic after the Los Angeles Rams offense coming off their bye? Um, somewhere in between those two, I would say, I think they can hopefully figure out something protection wise. It seems like Matthew Stafford is particularly sensitive to protection issues. And we mentioned before that they had an onslaught of defenses that they faced to start the season, which made things difficult. I would have felt a lot better if they had a stronger performance against the Panthers go, go into the bye. I mean, you log the W, you log a W, you got that, you got into the bye. You can get, get healthier, try to figure out protection, this and that, but they still were bad. Um, still not great, I should say, offensively in that type of game. So that makes me a little bit concerned, and that's why I have them at a higher concern level than the Bucks right now. The one thing this offense has been missing, and you actually brought this up early on, like Cooper Cup, he's still putting up the numbers, but he hasn't been quite that other, you know, extraordinary efficiency category that he was last year. They just haven't had anyone to stretch the field, and that makes yes. it think, makes it hard for Allen Robinson as well. Rams this year, the only offense with a catchable deep ball rate under 30%. So I think not having Van Jefferson has hurt. Tutu Atwell can fly, but he's got the catch radius of, you know, a child. I just, they need someone out there that can just make them, Respect it deep because otherwise Higby, Cooper Cup, Allen Robinson, things get that much harder for him around the line of scrimmage. I do think we can go back to Daryl Henderson this week with a decent level of confidence. Sean McVay was asked about Kyron Williams and he said that they're going to start discussing his 21-day return next week. So there was some talk about Kyron really having a big role with the first-team offense throughout the summer, at least for now. Henderson continue to fire him up as a solid RB2 in fantasy. All right, guys, before we move on to the 49ers and Cardinals, want to pay a couple bills here. Give a shout out to some of our lovely sponsors. First up, the fine folks at Western Southern. The PFF Fantasy Football Podcast is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps advance your money moves, buying your first home, plan to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. So team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Also got to love our friends over at Sleeper. We are talking about our start of the week here. And let's see, we're about to talk about the 49ers. We got the Cardinals still there. Hmm. This is a tough one, catching me off guard. Good job, Ian. I will say with Debo Samuel looking like he could be missing a little time with that hamstring injury, Brandon Ayuk would be having a better chance to go off than usual. He's facing a Rams defense that has not had Jalen Ramsey shattering at all this season. They've only done it sporadically in the past. If anything, last year in the NFC Championship, that was the last time Ramsey was asked to shadow, and he did it on Debo Samuel. So I would not expect that same sort of matchup for uh, Brandon Ayuk. And Jalen Ramsey, I know Stephon Diggs was beating him like a drum in week one and all that. Still very much a top-ten cornerback, and you see that reflected in his PFF grade. So Brandon Ayuk this week, start of the week. Shout-out to our friends over at Sleeper for everything they do. Takes us right into the 49ers, Kevin. You said that Jimmy G. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Breaking news. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Breaking news here. Um, Kadarius Tony is not practicing today, just so you know. That's that's, that's, that's breaking news, just in case anyone was wondering whether he was going to get back to practice. He's pulled a third hamstring at this point, (laughs) currently dealing with that. All right. You tweeted that Jimmy has to be the number one quarterback in Twitter reactions to actual performance differential. Kid or elaborate? 
Well, okay. So here's, here's my thing. I'm watching this game, and Jimmy's playing pretty well to start the game. They march down the field. They have a 10-point lead. Yeah, he had some bad plays, but I don't know. Maybe it's just a subset of who I follow. But in a game when the Kansas City Chiefs scored seven straight touchdowns, one of them called back by a penalty, which ended up being a missed field goal, why is every single tweet about Jimmy Garoppolo and his and his struggles in this game? It's just like he played okay. He had fine. He was like 0.15 EPA in this game until the end where he had a turnover at the end where the game was completely out of hand at that point, which is an outcome that'll get you a win like 70% of the time when you're playing there. Like, let's just chill. Like, I guess it's a Shanahan thing. These guys love Shanahan so much that they have to go off on Jimmy. I'm just not sure what we're supposed to do with this guy because it's not just this game. It's like he's always performs like a top five quarterback in his efficiency. Is he a top five quarterback? Of course not. But to think that he – like you would think he's the worst quarterback in the NFL if you just saw the reaction to him on Twitter. Um, I just don't think the worst quarterback in the NFL can put up top five numbers no matter how good the system is. He came when, – when he first came off the bench for Trey Lance, I think a couple of those first games were really rough and you know probably gave them some level of vindication. These last two weeks, though, especially against uh, that Falcons game, like a lot of missed opportunities that you can put yeah. more so on these receivers. There's another one last week. Should have, could have, would have had a 15-yard touchdown on Jeff Wilson. Unfortunately, he just lost it in the sun on that one. So takes us to – I just can't I – can't, I can't look at Twitter during a highly publicized – a late window – San Francisco 49ers game. This was the game that everyone was watching or an Island game. I can't do it because it's just like, we get it. People, you don't like Jimmy Garoppolo. You think, you think he's not good. Like I don't need to hear it every single time he makes a mistake. I don't need a tweet. I don't need a snarky tweet about it every single time. Okay. That's my, sorry. sorry, sorry. I'll, off my soapbox. Here. Primetime Jimmy G gets people feeling some type of way. Uh, you, we mentioned this last week and you brought up the point how he, Jimmy's not afraid of kind of throwing in the intermediate areas of the field. That's why his turnover yes. worthy play rate tends to get elevated. And I ran some numbers since 2019, 53 qualified quarterbacks, 15th lowest check down rate of any of them. Got to love some of those back end. Yeah, he doesn't throw it to running backs. That was one of my points on this McAfee trade. When I was analyzing, I'm like, yeah, that's not really a big part of their offense to check it down to running backs. So look, I fully anticipate CMC still being an RB1 in San Francisco. What do you say, though, if you had to guess, Kevin, top six or seven through 12 RB the rest of the way? I almost lean towards the latter. This is an offense with a lot of weapons. They've already not gone out of their way to feed Debo Samuel this season. If Debo's going to be hurt with the hamstring, that's fine. But I really just don't think McCaffrey's going to get this massive pass game role he had with the Panthers. And guess what? It's probably a good thing. I don't know that NFL offenses are reaching their full potential when they're force feeding a running back these receptions. It's great in fantasy. Just ask all of Austin Eckler's fantasy managers out there. But in terms of real life, like there's a reason why the yards per attempt of running backs are so much less than the other positions. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd still say top six, but I can see him falling out. Like I'm I'm totally with you there. In some ways, this is going to sound weird because in PPR because like the offense generally is so much better in San Francisco than it would be in the Panthers. But in some ways I feel like his ceiling is less is lower with San Francisco because he just can't get the workload. Now he can get touchdowns. So maybe he can get there on touchdowns in some ways, the floor is higher in this offense than it could be on Carolina. But like if everything's working in Carolina, you don't have to have a very good offense for him to just completely go off. Whereas if the offense is not playing well in San Francisco, I don't think he's going to have a high-end outcome that particular week 
Uh, Debo Samuel, hamstring-ish sort of thing maybe going on. So I think those two actually play against each other sometimes in usage. That You're going to see like those manufactured types of plays for those guys. They actually are in opposition to each other. So maybe with Debo out, he'll be used a lot. They're, they're definitely going to give it to him on the goal line and stuff like that and stuff the hell out of him to try to say, <laughs> we want to make back this investment. Um, so he can get there in fantasy that way. But I, I get your point, though, in saying that he is not locked in as a top guy. And I think that ceiling is a little bit compromised here. I was cracking. I'm not sure if you retweeted or someone else, but it was the meme from like Arrested Development where uh, the bald dude's like, no, 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 ne never works for anybody. But yeah. like, it could work for us. Like Kyle That's Shane. like every running back. That's every running back pick, every running back <laughs> trade, every running back contract. That that's always, the, that's always the case. But guess what, people? Yes, your team gets better. When you trade away five picks for a player when those picks haven't happened yet. I agree. You got better as a team. It doesn't mean it's good. It doesn't mean it's a good trade. But it, you, you do get better when you trade away things that have an impact in the future for today. I hope you get better at least. In regards to Debo Samuel, it is one of those things too, man. He hasn't had more than two carries since week three. He hasn't had more than 12 rushing yards since week two. Hasn't found the end zone on the ground since week one. Like, I don't see those figures increasing without McCaffrey. And we will take targets over rush attempts eight days of the week. So I, I've always kind of thought that Debo Samuel role was almost a negative. Like, he had to be the best running back in the league pretty much in order to keep up that wild pace he had last season. Unfortunately, this year, he's been good. His, but his expected points are basically the same last year, and he is meeting expectation. He's just not blowing it out of the water like he did last season. Yeah, so that the, was the always long just... touchdowns. The long touchdowns aren't there. George Kittle is – I mean, George Kittle had a Kittle game. I mean, Kittle's yeah. awesome. I love George so Kittle. Um, I think I feel good for George Kittle, like on a personal basis. Even though he's not scoring, I feel like he is one of the guys – who probably just likes blocking people. So he's okay. Like he's actually not that dissatisfied. Like the opposite of like the diva, I'm not being targeted enough, which he's not for his skill level on that part. He's probably like, oh, I get to blow people up like, you know, 15 <laughs> times, 20 times a game. That's that's good enough for me. There's that highlight a couple years ago. He just pancakes the Falcons linebacker, rolls on his back and just screaming like a madman. Like, yeah. oh my yeah. goodness. George Kittle, again, I've said it 10 times. I'll say it 10 freaking million more earth's tight end one if those aliens invade and we need him for one game best player at the position in my opinion with all due respect to travis kelsey and mark andrews i don't think anyone touches kittle in terms of doing everything at the position finally we have our last place but coming off a win three and four cardinals this week in minnesota vikings three and a half point favorites game total at 49 this matchup could tell us a lot about both of these teams. Oh, yeah. De DeAndre Hopkins comes back into action. Looks good, man. Did not look like he lost a step by any stretch of the imagination. Had an early drop, but you look at Stashy at the end of the day, peppered with targets. And this was the case in 2020. 2021, we saw Kyler spreading the ball around a bit more, but you don't have Christian Kirk. You have Rondale Moore, you know, dropping slash offensive pass interfering his end zone target Zach Ertz you know a year older Zach Ertz obviously Marquise Brown out of the picture for the foreseeable future so DeAndre Hopkins man I think we threw him out there as a start last week saw wide receiver two gonna be awfully difficult to keep him out of the top 12 conversation here moving forward do you think Hopkins coming back is enough to really stabilize this offense it sure seemed to help last week oh yeah I don't know if it's enough to stabilize the offense but wheels up fire him up we're firing up DeAndre yeah, Hopkins go. going, up. <laughs> going forward because like he has legit like changed the complexion of your fantasy league type of help for a team that's now mm -hmm. inserting him in the starting lineup because 
I mean, I loved absolutely everything that I saw from him from a fantasy perspective. 42% of the time in the slot. Yes. Let's like, you can, like that was, the, he's not just out on his island out there running down up the left side and stopping seven, five yards down the field. They were using him a little bit more creatively. I thought he looked like he had pretty good juice. I was a, a little bit afraid. My post PED analytics told us we could be a little bit afraid of an aging player coming off of there. I didn't see any of that. No one else on this team with Marquise Brown out is worthy of like generating targets or above uh, DeAndre. So I'm very, very happy about that. Whether it fixes the offense or not, no. It might raise the floor for the offense. I still thought the offense was pretty bad, but it, you might have like a few times a game where you're converting third downs where you just couldn't do it in the past, and that can keep drives going. And if Murray continues to want to run the ball, I think the floor is heavily elevated for this offense versus what we saw at the beginning of the season. 14, team high, 14 targets for DeAndre Hopkins. Nobody else oh, had more. Oh, so good. So good. I mean, I get mean, some touchdowns, get some other stuff. Man, you you, you got to be very happy with what you saw. I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll just, maybe Cliff Kingsbury will be like, I, oh, I gotcha. You know, they'll just put him out uh, out, of the, out of the left wide receiver spot again. But man, that was perfect, perfect role for him that you would want to see. Robbie Anderson fits kind of nicely in this offense, especially if you're going to use Hopkins more in the slot. Just have Robbie run wind yeah. sprints on outside just the whole nation turning against Robbie Anderson for being pissed off about the Panthers who we were all pissed off about the Panthers too man I don't think that's the worst thing in the world no we can't hey, start he got him got a ticket out of town let's take there it you, you know we uh we can't start Robbie Anderson just yet only played 12 total snaps last week they told us he was only going to be out there for a little bit but hey cautiously optimistic that he could again just help this offense be better overall I do think that someone like Robbie man if you could put him in the Chargers or one of these other offenses and you know the Rams honestly again they would have been a nice fit for a field stretcher such as himself alas so last thing I want to yeah, talk it, about what, one thing on Robbie real quick so like if you look at talk about unlocking the offense like if you look at when Kyler stepped up as a passer last year, the big dramatic shift in his game was long passing effective on these 15 plus air yard targets. And that person who he was throwing it to that was unlocked was Christian Kirk. So Christian Kirk is gone. Rondale Moore is a fast guy, but let's face it. He's not that guy. You're not that guy. You know that he's not that guy. Okay. Not that guy pal. Yeah. You're not that guy. Pal. Yeah. So he's not that Robbie Anderson, he doesn't have to be like super effective. Remember how we thought about Christian Kirk? He doesn't have to be nearly like Christian Kirk sort of targeted, but he could carve out that role. And if he can find a connection, that might also be like the unlockingness of the offense. Not more than DeAndre Hopkins, but a significant portion because they, they do not have that. And that's one thing that Kyler can do well. Still very much, you know, in on Kyler as a top six, seven quarterback the rest of the way in fantasy. The only real adjustment I've made is I think Joe Burrow, especially with this passing volume, like I finally just had to boost him up there. That's what back to back overall QB one week. So yeah, we'll you have to, we're racing off of the internet. All of our stay away from Joe Burrow <laughs> offseason article, <laughs> articles. Just just deleting those tweets. Went off another. I, I actually, just for the record, I give myself five minutes if I send a tweet. If I don't think it's funny, if I think it's bad, I'll delete it in five. If not, knock yourselves out. I'll just say I was or something after the fact. <laughs> All right, final point here is with this backfield. James Conner, he was a game-time decision going to last Thursday night, questionable. So I, it does seem like that he has a pretty good chance of getting back from this rib injury. Now, you know, Benjamin and Keontae Ingram have uh, actually gone out there, done some solid things in his absence. Both guys were able to make some explosive plays last week. 
Ingram was like a freaking inch away from scoring a touchdown in his own right. Eno did find the end zone. So if we look at Connor's usage before his injury, he really only had three games not directly impacted by one issue or another. His snaps were at 72%, 60%, and 66%. Touches, 15, 16, and 18. So it's good usage, good solid RB2 usage, albeit not the sort of volume-based RB1 that we maybe thought he was going to be and that he was dur during uh, Chase Edmonds' missing time last year. That said, offense is ascending. The Cardinals refuse to QB sneak Kyler Murray. They've only done it one time during his entire career. Do you think Connor is a sneaky, solid, buy-low candidate who could turn into, again, I'm not expecting him to be his top five running back moving forward, but someone in the top 15, 16, a touchdown-dependent RB2 in an offense that, we start to, that we're starting to expect to score touchdowns more often? I don't know. It's possible. I guess I just don't know if he has that sort of like cachet of a, a type of player where you can leave, you can get Eno Benjamin and Keontae Ingram to come in and look pretty good in your absence and then expect to come back and have that lion's share. I'm just scared that those guys have carved. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about running back money though. They gave uh, like but, 20 mil. It, well, how much of that is guaranteed? Um, <laughs> but, 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 like those guys look good. Those guys look good. I think Keontae Ingram looked pretty good. So I don't know if this, this could turn into a three man sort of thing split up enough and efficiency wise. I just don't know if we're going to get it from Connor. So it's possible, but I would not. I don't think it's a likely outcome. Throw him in maybe as a buy low. Uh, just super. I'm, I know I'm going super strong in the paint uh, with that take there. I will say, if he gets that rollback, then all of a sudden he is going to be back in the weekly top six. Yeah, we, I never know what these coaches are going to do. It's just, it's just my concern that the, you have a couple of guys where they were question marks before, who now you're saying, oh, we we can play these guys and not feel like they're just going to completely like fuck up and fumble and do whatever within two seconds of being in the game. All right, now that we've recently ended the episode, I will say I agree with your take that Giselle was pissed off about the crypto stuff more than that's anything. That's what that, happened. That's she's sitting on a she's sitting on a, a bag, an empty bag of of of, uh, of bored apes right now, and it's it's just over for, for for them. Okay, good. Tom Tom wakes up, goes to the kitchen, and she just holds up the Coinbase balance. Like, are you freaking kidding me, man? So <laughs> yeah, right, I mean, she's worth four hundred million now. It's <laughs> like it's like fifty million or something. It's starting over. <laughs> She'll be back on the runway pretty soon. She's going to be working them runways. And with that, everyone wraps up another edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Hope you guys enjoy these AFC NFC previews as much as Kevin and I enjoy barking here every single Wednesday. Kevin, Unexpected Points Podcast. Plenty of showdown content in the meantime. Quarterback rankings. Ever can find you at Kevin Cole PFF on Twitter. Myself at iHeartits, PFF.com. You know all the shit's up there. Continue to have these podcasts rolling. I apologize. Last week, I missed the injury pod. Uh, yeah, I was in Chicago for a wedding and, you know, I failed to make time, failed to do it. No excuses. Priorities, we'll get priorities buddy. Come on. Priorities. Get, I'm get, sorry, get your, guys. Get your shit together. I think <laughs> this is episode like 640 or so. And I think that's the first end season one I didn't manage to get out there. So hurt my pride a little bit. Hey, let's You're get like another. Joe Thomas of podcasting. Ah, we'll get another uh, 600 going before hopefully anything like that happens again. So my bad, but we'll be back there with more myself, Nick Botterford. And yeah. In the meantime, hope you guys have a great week eight. Let's go keep trying to win those fantasy football championships. For Kevin, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in. And until next time, take care, everybody.